The second part of it is what I call the internship phase. Now you've got your book knowledge. Now you need to go out there, but you're not quite ready to sort of uh, be the pilot yourself, so to speak. So you kind of want to be a co-pilot. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, I'm excited to have Sandia Sashardri. And Sandia, I, I probably said it wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong. It's perfect. It was perfect. Oh, yeah, you said it right. <laughs> um, so why don't you give our listeners a little bit about your background, uh, you know, where you came from and what you're doing today? So I live in Dallas and I moved here over 30 years ago from India and I'm an electrical engineer by profession. That was my first uh, career. I'm now in my third career, as I call it. So from electrical engineering, master's in WE, went into the corporate world. And uh, after a few years there, I realized that all the marketing and business types folks are making all the decisions and telling us engineers what to do. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I need to get on the other side of this. So I got myself an MBA. Thankfully, my company paid for it. Went from there mm -hmm. with the knowledge of the stock market and completely went into the stock market. Once I had children uh, from a lifestyle perspective, I could spend a couple of hours a day on the stock market and pretty much easily make my engineering income. So that's what I did when I had young children and uh, got into real estate because when President Trump took over, especially, uh, we all know he pays zero taxes or very little in taxes. And I always wanted to get into real estate, but I was afraid of having to do, you know, tenants, toilets and trash and getting that call sure. on Thanksgiving day to go and repair <laughs> someone's leaky faucet or something. So to avoid that is what I, decided that single family rentals wasn't something for me. But when a friend told me about multifamily and the fact that you can hire a property management company to do all the day-to-day -day tasks, and you could be at a higher level just doing asset management, watching your KPIs, et cetera, it started making a lot more sense to me. So that's what got me into multifamily investing. And that's what I do now. So it's funny you say the tennis toilets and trash, because I think there's there's like this, there's so many people that when they think of oh, your own rental problem, and boy, like, how do yeah. you, how do you deal with it? You got to deal with the tennis, the toilets, the trash, you get the horror stories from your uncle or from your grandpa or whatever, whoever had the piece yeah. of rental real estate, and they always had to deal with, you know, that type of stuff. And you just go, yeah, I don't, I don't deal with any of that. You know, yeah. I've, got, I've got people that deal with that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's totally different mindset, but so many people think of it. Yeah. Um, so you got into it because of the tax. Was that the main reason because of the tax advantages? That was one of the reasons I'd always looked at real estate. Every rich person I knew had something to do with real estate and I did invest in REITs and stuff. But it's something about owning an actual hard asset was very appealing as long as I didn't have to deal with the three T's. So when I heard about apartment investing, it just made so much sense. Take me back to the start. Mm -hmm. um, your very first or your mm -hmm. kind of your first starting acquisitions. What was the hardest thing for you when you were first starting and how did you get over that so I joined a mentoring group to sort of learn, get the education. For me, education mm -hmm. always means you reduce your risk. 
yeah. no matter what type of venture it is. The second part of it is what I call the internship phase. Now you've got your book knowledge. Now you need to go out there, but you're not quite ready to sort of uh, be the pilot yourself, so to speak. So you kind of want to be a co-pilot. So um, passive investing made a lot of sense at the beginning mm -hmm. because I had all the retirement money from my corporate world that I couldn't necessarily use on my own syndication. So it was an easy way to build a relationship with someone with experience, but at the same time, get to look over their shoulder, ask all the questions I wanted. And I invested passively in my market so that I was also learning about what works in this market and what doesn't. So that was a really good internship kind of experience with multifamily. And then once I have that under my belt, I, I've invested actually in 17 passive deals. It made it very easy then to just say, okay, it makes so much sense for me to run this myself. I could, I, I had like a dozen suggestions each time I looked over my monthly reports and I was like, it's time to steer it. And uh, so within my mentoring group, I found more experienced sponsors and they both happened to be out of state. So I could add value by being boots on the ground with them in Dallas, because that's where a lot of deals happen. And that's how I got my first deal is as a co-sponsor with two other experienced sponsors, helping do a lot of the, shall we say, running around kind of work while they made more of the decisions on my first deal. And yeah. And, and it's so valuable right there. There's so many people that don't really understand that they can do that. And mm -hmm. you were able to add value. So there, there's a perfect example for everybody who's listening. If you want to get into this multifamily, if you want to do large multifamily, I mean, as simple as finding somebody that's out of state, that's successful, that, you know, you feel has obviously the, the right kind of business model and that you could partner with. I mean, you partnered with these people because you were boots on the ground, because you could take your really your geographical location was you was your main advantage point. And yeah, you could add more than just that, but that was a big advantage point. And that's how another one of my, um, my clients, he, he did the same thing. He took his geographical location and said, Hey, I want to partner with you. I want to be the boots on the ground. It was super valuable. Um, did you help bring money into the deal too? Or do you do anything else to help with? I did all of the pieces, but let's say I, in my first deal, which closed August of 2019, I brought a very small amount of the money relative to my partners who had the experience and the resume of uh, many deals in the past. But, you know, they would sort of coach me, say, go say this, go try this, uh, yeah. talk to people, you know, et cetera. So they kind of mentored me even in that capital raise phase. But in the beginning, as far as underwriting the deal, I also underwrote the deal independent of them. Yeah. I also toured the property independent of them. I did my drive-bys, I did my comps, all of that analysis. So I was involved every step of the way. And once we began the asset management, it was fantastic because I'm in every weekly call with the property management company. And I had ideas and they would tell me some of them were great and some of them were not so great because this was a better way of doing it. So that knowledge of uh, learning alongside, it's sort of like when you're brand new to a job in your corporate world, you get assigned a mentor. That's exactly what happened. And yeah. it was invaluable what I learned from my mentors and I'm forever grateful to them. Well, and you're able to co-sponsor as well. You're able to become part of that GP. And yes, I don't know exactly what the split is and we don't really need to tie. And that probably doesn't really matter, quite mm -hmm. frankly. You're able to be- It doesn't matter. Even if I get not a dime from it, <clears throat> exactly. I'm established now. I go to a Dallas broker. He's like, hey, yeah, I know you. You know, I know you that deal. Property, 
and I'm established. Brokers know I can close a deal now. So that was invaluable. I was taken very seriously after that. By, how, big, how big was that first deal? Um, it $6.75 million, nice. um, 86 doors. Okay. So it was just yeah. enough to afford property management. We have one leasing mm -hmm. manager and one maintenance staff and uh, it's going extremely well. So now we're 16 months into it and it's already appraised at like almost $10 million at a 6.5 cap in the nice. Dallas area. Nice. And you know, it goes better than that right now, the cap rate in Dallas. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, and that's, and that's great. So, I mean, it's, it's big enough deal to get noticed, right? It's big enough mm -hmm. deal for, to where brokers are going to take you serious. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, it's just being that co-sponsor, being able to attend the asset management meetings, be able mm -hmm. to uh, get involved. So really you took the approach of being it sounds like you're pretty patient, right? You started mm -hmm. investing passively. Then you took the co-sponsorship role uh, to get involved. Have you, have you been the uh, lead sponsor then on a deal yet, or mm -hmm. is that in the works? Oh yeah. Uh, we closed a deal actually December 22nd, just in time right. for 2020. I probably underwrote over 150 deals through all of 2020 and they were just not priced attractive enough for me to uh, take that leap when it comes to other people's money. These are friends, neighbors who invested in my deal uh, that we closed. So I would definitely say that in terms of underwriting the deal, uh, raising the capital and now asset management, I'm on a, a lead role for all of that. Uh, certainly my resume, my um, relationship with the brokerage, the lead broker of Marcus and Millichap actually lives in my neighborhood. So just things like that, all of it helped um, win the deal and close it. So uh, it's been exciting. So you underwrote 150 deals and mm -hmm. you closed on one. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. That's and good. we got this deal. This is in Dallas. We got it for the same price that the seller paid for it in 2018. Hmm. That's what I call value. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously on their end, probably poor asset management. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. And unfortunately, this was a single owner living in the West Coast and left everything up to property management company yeah. and didn't really give them enough direction and didn't actually visit the property enough. And all he needed was probably a partner like me, right? Someone okay. boots on the ground to kind of to, to take care of the day-to-day -day stuff. But yeah. uh, without yeah. that, I think that's the reason why he was tired of it. He was moving on to other things. He's like, just get rid of this property for just me. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the perfect deal to be able to get into a tired mm -hmm. landlord that does that's just mm -hmm. done with it. And hey, they're willing to just sell it for what they got into it, be done. Yeah. And you can come in and you can create some efficiencies to the property. You can manage it properly and you're yeah. you'll do really well. So that's all it is operational efficiencies. Yep. If you're exploring the different ways to invest in real estate, then you've got to check out my new book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes, reviews, and condenses over 20 top real estate books to help give you an understanding of the full spectrum of real estate investing very quickly. So buy it today on Amazon by searching for Book About Real Estate by Matt Jones. Uh, like, how do you, you know, you underwrote 150 deals. How, how do you stay motivated to continue to underwrite these deals versus, uh, you know, try to go in a different direction? So 
with my engineering background, numbers are my favorite thing. I was always motivated by numbers right from childhood. It's like, what's the price? For the right price, uh, I can do pretty much anything kind of concept, meaning within legal limits and all that. But uh, so underwriting deals with a spreadsheet was so fun for me. I have now an entire database of so many properties, especially in the Dallas area, which is my focus, that if you, you know, if another property came up for sale right now, I could say, oh yeah, a couple of years ago, this is what it was trading for. And I could give all kinds of details on it. So I have an entire folder of deals that I not didn't pursue and why. And so, it's fantastic to look at those spreadsheets. So how many of those, like how many LOIs did you submit? Do you know? I probably submitted about 15 LOIs this year. About 15 LOIs. Yeah. And, and everybody asks, and, and I wonder what other people do as well. Wh when you're looking at, um, you know, typical deal, maybe mm -hmm. they typically they don't have an offer price, but they got an offer price, right? There's a whisper yeah. price. So it's, the it's, it's, it's the list price, basically. Mm -hmm. So when, when the broker says, hey, this is the, the whisper price or the list price, um, where, where do you draw the line of I'm going to submit on that deal or it's not worth my time to submit on it or I don't want to insult somebody? Do you have like a magic number? I try to see if I can get to within half a million of the whisper price on say a $10 million plus dollar deal. But I also have conversations- 5% or so? Yeah. So I definitely talk to the broker ahead of time. It's like, I don't want to insult you. Do you really want me to make an offer? And I actually ask them that even before I tour the property, I do my underwriting and I say, listen, I'm like a million and a half off from what you are asking in this uh, deal. I might be missing something. Would you like me to tour it just so I can find something else that I'm missing from just uh, your OM and T12? And then they say, yeah, I'll tour it with you. It's helped me with my numbers. So then, you know, I get to have a conversation with them yeah. and they help me go back and, you know, refine my numbers a little more and come back closer for that price. Yeah. And then you yeah. actually start getting like a budget from your PM company. You get an insurance quote if you're serious, if you're getting that close. And yeah. then they'll also tell you, okay, I've done a 50 tours right now. This is probably going to trade well above the whisper price. And then you're like, okay, well, it was nice catching up with you, but you know now what I'm looking for. So keep me yeah. in mind the next time, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm not going to submit an offer. I'm not your buyer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that becomes pretty apparent. Yeah. Versus yeah, this deal sure. that we just acquired, this deal was at the uh, same time that there was another flood of deals from having nothing going on through COVID. Suddenly there was a huge flood of deals and like there was one portfolio called S2 that I think it had like 10 properties all come out at the same time. So I could have analyzed 40 different properties all within a couple of weeks kind of time period. Mm -hmm. So everyone neglected this deal because one, it's a property where we knew that the previous owner didn't do as well. It was a 60s property, it's a chiller property, um, it's a loan assumption. So all the reasons why a lot of people stayed away from it, yeah. I kept digging and digging. And each time I was like, okay, I'm trying to talk myself out of this deal, but every time there's something attractive about this deal, I can actually make the numbers work. And so it was a little less competitive than the overpaying and you know the multiple rounds of best and final you go through on deals. This was much easier. They were, it was really down to two or three buyers and we had the relationship and the track record. Well, and Dallas is a hyper competitive market, so, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, you're getting yeah. multiple offers on every deal likely mm -hmm. and you're getting people that are putting in crazy terms uh, to try to land the deal. I know that, yeah. I, I believe Dallas is one of those markets that your, your earnest money becomes hard very quickly. Day um, one. 
day one. That's Always cra- day that's, one. That's crazy. Am I? Yeah. Like I, none Always. of the markets I invest in earnest money becomes hard typically after due diligence, right? Uh, yeah, we don't get that luxury. So what <laughs> we try to ask for is either early access or at least to the exteriors. So in the case of my 60s property, we wanted to scope the plumbing lines and then uh, inspect the roof sure, and sure. inspect the chiller. Anything we could do on the exterior without disturbing the tenants, we asked for early access for a day. Yep. And so which, by which, 5 p.m. that money went hard. And so we were able to do it during that day. Yeah, which makes out. sense because your 60s product, uh, your <laughs> biggest risk factor in your 60s product is your your mechanicals, your mm-hmm. plumbing, your chiller, your roof, that type of mm-hmm. stuff. So that makes sense. Deferred maintenance sense. costs to estimate yeah. that. So we went with contractors to do all of that and get reports before our money went hard. You know, and, and you're doing something, and a lot of people shy away from 50s, 60s, 70s product, and you're doing something that people are shying away from, which, mm-hmm. you know, when you kind of think about it, isn't that really what you're supposed to be doing. So that's probably a smart approach to be looking at some of these products. Can we actually, is this a decent, well enough located property in a neighborhood that are okay with, but yet it's a sixties product that everybody else is trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. So It's I, the I, margins, right? I mean, it would be so easy for me to just walk into a whole foods and get this nice gourmet organic meal, beautifully packaged. Yeah. Or I could go to the grocery store, get all my ingredients, make the meal myself and save a bundle. So it's sort of like that analogy, you know? Yeah. If you're I willing to it. do some of the work, that's what you're, you know, that's where the margins are. So C class and B class typically have better margins than your A class properties in yep. most cases. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can still find some well-located C class, you know, dirty sixties mm-hmm. properties that are well-located that you can do really well. in. Mm-hmm. so yeah, <clears throat> let's, let's talk about, um, mistakes that you've made along the way. And so why don't you just choose one mistake that you've made that sticks out and how did you learn and grow from it? So one of the big mistakes I made was in my days of passive investing. Um, I trusted someone, they seemed perfectly competent. They had a very strong construction background. They look incredible on social media. And I trusted this person with my hard-earned retirement money. And uh, that's the only deal which in less than nine months has made a capital call because their business model was to go in, get their acquisition fee, and then give their construction company all the business. And afterwards, they didn't really have money invested in the deal. So they had nothing to lose if the deal went badly. And so what I forgot to ask was, what is your track record? What is your experience asset managing, not construction management? The two are not the same. Asset management is a lot about the numbers. And especially when you have older properties like my 60s properties, you don't want to spend all your CapEx in the first three months. You want to hold on to that. You need those extra reserves. You just don't know what could break down and go wrong. And you're not having any reserves for a pandemic like this when a percentage of your renters don't pay and your delinquency goes up. So what I tell people is before you invest your hard-earned money in a deal, develop your own personal checklist. And I have a very long checklist I'm willing to share with your listeners if they would like to vet a sponsorship team. And that's uh, available at my website if I can mention that. Yeah, absolutely. You can do it now and maybe it, maybe when we wrap up. What's, what's okay. that website? Where can people find it? Awesome. It's multifamily 
4YOU.com. So multifamily for you, where the four is the number four and the U is spelled out YOU.com. And all you have to do is put your name and email address and you can get my checklist to vet a sponsorship team. And uh, unless you want to, you will not be getting future spam emails from me on a daily basis. So no worries on that. Cool. Well, that's that's awesome. And that's really helpful for every anybody looking for passive investing. And quite frankly, if you're a syndicator, if you're an active investor and you're going to be bringing on private money, probably a good checklist to have because it allows you to go, oh, these are the questions that they want to know. And I got to make sure we cover these gaps, right? If you want to do things right, you want to make sure you've got good asset management. You've got you know, the right things in place to where you're protecting your investors money. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and Pretty much. So that, yeah, that, that's good. I mean, ba basically the mistake is you just, you trusted, but mm -hmm. you didn't verify, right. That's you didn't right. verify enough of um, that sponsor and mm -hmm. making sure, you know, they looked good on paper. Right. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of deals look good on paper. A lot of sponsors look good on paper or on the screen. Um, but when we actually dig mm -hmm. in, maybe, maybe there's a little bit more to be seen. So, um, I've yeah. definitely made that mistake plenty of times. Mm -hmm. So the big questions to ask is a lot of people are purely capital raisers and they're done with the deal afterwards. Ooh, so the question to yeah. ask is after closing, do you have still any money in the deal? And what do you stand to lose if the deal goes badly? Ooh, I love or am I that. The only That's a great question. Money, right? Yeah. And the other question is, do you asset manage? And if not, who is the primary asset manager on your team? Who should yeah. I be talking to if I have questions about the deal? Yeah. Because in your case, Todd or myself, I know we can both talk about our deals into great detail, but there's a lot of people who can't because they're really done. They fly away yeah. after yeah. the deal closes. So that's a question to ask is, I want to know about your asset management team who's going to run this deal from closing till I get my money back. The To piggyback on that a question that um, I would be asking too, depending on the renovation scope is who's your construction management, who's, who's managing the construction team uh, and making sure they're actually doing what they're supposed to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are great questions though. A lot of people don't think about them and, and, and you know, how much, how much skin do you have in the game? What are you going to do if the property, do you even care about the success of this property? Yeah. Um, that's, that's important. Yeah. Skin in the game after closing, when you've taken your acquisition fees already, do you have any money left? in the deal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what's, uh, let's talk about some, some of your keys to being successful. You, you've made this transition. You're doing, uh, you're, you're now, you went from being a passive investor to now being an active investor. You're having success doing it. Um, what are some of the success habits, maybe three to four success habits that you have that you really feel are key to your success? Persistence would be the biggest one. Just yeah. because one well, looking at 150 deals. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you have to. Well, there are quick screens, right? So with every deal, I know that I started underwriting them faster. So I remember the first time I tried to underwrite a deal ever, and it took me probably a week to two weeks yeah. to even get all my numbers right. Now in about 20 minutes, I could very easily tell you what's a price range you should be paying for the deal yeah. and what are the caveats to check out at the most 20, 20 to 30 minutes. So you got a lot of time to do 150 deals if it only takes you 20 to 30 minutes a deal, right? 
right, versus right. a couple of weeks per deal. <clears throat> yep. So persistence and within that, if a certain path works for someone and you see all their success stories, that path, that path may not work for you. Like mm. the way I got my first deal may not be the way you get your first deal. Because maybe you're living in California. You're not going to get your first deal as boots on the ground. But maybe it's your network with which you can raise capital. That's always a good, good way to get your first deal. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Understand that your path might not be somebody else's path. Yeah. Play to your strengths. What are your strengths? If you love numbers like I do, oh, go for it. Underwrite deals like crazy, become the best underwriter you know. If you're a great networker, right? Um, network, talk to people, attend every meetup you can and build those relationships. But be clear about what you have to offer and what you want from them. So managing expectations right from the beginning yep. with your potential team. Yep, yep, absolutely. Awesome. Um, how, how did that, like, you know, you're, you're working for, for a corporate, mm -hmm. how did that mindset shift? Like what, was there something, was there an event? Was there something that created that mindset shift slowly commerce that always kind of been burning and just finally got let out? It's always been there. Um, I loved my job a tremendous amount, but it required a lot of international travel. Mm -hmm. And uh, at one point we had a infant 10 month old baby and uh, I had to leave that afternoon on a flight to Taiwan. My husband was supposed to come back from his trip to Japan and his flight was delayed. So he wasn't gonna come in time on a Saturday from our corporate jet setting careers. We realized this isn't working. And that's when I was like, I need to do something else and I don't yeah. really need the money. So what am I doing this for? And that's when I was like, okay, I've made enough on the stock market. I know how this is played. I need to just chill for a year and see if this is what I want to do. So I took basically the equivalent of a sabbatical. I knew if I went back to my company within two years, I could get all my benefits back, et cetera. But that year off, I was like, I had all this energy from doing ADR work weeks. So I was not the stay at home mom with diapers. I was like, where can we travel, baby? We just went everywhere. And uh, the stock market pretty much helped me at that time to pay my bills kind of, or do my fair share of uh, the household budget. So that was easy. So then it was a matter of what do I want to do that gives me flexibility of time now that I have children. And this real estate did exactly that because I get to pick my hours. When kids are in school, I'm at my properties. Kids are home, I'm with them. Kids go to bed, I'm up at night doing my underwriting. So you got to yeah. figure out what works for you. Are you still playing a lot in the stock market or is it oh, yeah. real estate? There's so many plays now with all this administration change. <laughs> it, it, it is exciting. Are you bullish or bearish on the stock market? Depending on the stock, right? Hmm. Which stock is going to do really well with the new administration and what we're seeing with the vaccine? What's I mean, your what's your favorite industry and what's your least favorite industry? So I used to be all about just the tech industry just because of my job. Mm -hmm. But then I had my son and his fascination was trucks. So now I got completely into the transportation sector. And so mm -hmm. the movement of goods and freight, it gives you a very good idea of uh, how the markets are. So uh, that's his portfolio. My daughter, um, she is very much money motivated like me. So she wanted to afford a lot of expensive things like designer stuff. So she got into the stock market, but she analyzes your good old, you know, target and fashion industry, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
So I kind of have a play in all of the industries, but of course the medical industry is uh, pretty interesting right now. So are your Zoom and all these kind of uh, electric vehicles kind of companies. Uh, yeah. My Tesla stock auto sold around the time that it was made public, et cetera. So, mm. you know, I, I play in a lot of different structures. I, I used to have to do currency as well because my projects, I had people all over the world. So the currency um, exchange and currency trading is still fun for me. So I would say a lot of different sectors. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, are you bullish or bearish on multifamily real estate? I'm very bullish as long as you pick the right markets. Uh, mm. I think it's an excellent investment because uh, rent is due the first of the month, as you know, and for the few renters who don't pay, you know, make sure you screen them well and offer them assistance programs. And uh, there's things like renters insurance that can help with that because that's your biggest risk is non-paying tenants. Right. So if you can address yeah. that in some way, you're set. Yep. Screen them right and uh, treat them well, respect them. They are your customers. If you treat them well, they will stay. So have good tenants, treat them well, make sure there's coverage when they can't pay and you're set. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. Um, well, this, is, this has been fun. I got a couple last questions before we do wrap up. Um, mm -hmm. What's a favorite book, business or real estate? I had a feeling you might ask me that. This is my most favorite book right now. Because a lot of people are focused on goals. This book is Atomic Habits. And the reason is that, let's say your goal is to buy 500 doors this year, as an example. If you don't reach that goal and you're at 400, are you unhappy? And then you reach 500, then you're all happy and set. So this book instead says, focus on tiny incremental changes to your life yeah. to develop good systems and processes and good habits. And so I like that. Yep. Yep. And habits are going to win over. A goal is great, but man, if you've got the right habits in place and you're doing the right things and you're, like you said before, if you're persistent, if, mm -hmm. if you're persistent and you're, you got the right habits, you're going to make a mm -hmm. lot of big waves and you're going to be successful. Um, what, uh, how do you like to give back? I love giving back to my communities by having activities and sponsorships from local organizations. So we gave away free turkey, 15 pound turkey to every tenant uh, for mm. Thanksgiving. We did a door prize contest, Santa's mailbox, et cetera, for Christmas. And uh, we're doing like a health and fitness kind of fair um, for January. So we try to do some community activity every month so that you know our tenants invite their family and friends to become future tenants and everyone stays put and our retention is better. Yeah. On the personal side, I'm very passionate about numbers and math. And so I do free tutoring for math for anyone who fears it, because math is not a subject that you do worksheets and, you know, get good grades in. It's about life. It's about making good choices when you go shopping. It's about good choices when you, you know, about your credit history, et cetera. So it's financial literacy is necessary. Oh, I'm so glad you just said that. We, it drives me crazy looking at some of this stuff that my kids bring home in school. And I'm like, why don't they just put some life lessons in here. Like, man, we could be teaching them multiple things. We can teach them how to do math, but yet we can teach them like about life. And mm -hmm. how much more interested would you be in math if you're like, oh, that's how this is applied yeah. to, to the, like not, mm -hmm. oh, I'll never use this ever again. Right. So yeah, I, I, I love that. And math is scary for a lot of people. My daughter doesn't like it. So maybe, maybe mm -hmm. we have to tutor her. <laughs> well, I would love to tell her about the fun ways that math can change her life. Anytime yeah. you have a little girl, anyone interested, a teen, 
who needs help with math, I'm here. So definitely reach out to me. Cool, cool. Um, oh, you know what I wanted to ask you? Um, you, uh, how, like, advantage, disadvantage, or, and how do you, how do you um, spin it and maybe create an advantage of being a minority female in a, a business that is mostly male dominated and mostly um, white male dominated? It's like in the engineering world. It's pretty male dominated. Going to engineering school is mm, fairly yeah. male dominated and yeah, at the workforce. Sure. So you kind of learn that and you learn that if you are good, yes, the first time they will ignore you. The second time they might ignore you. But when you start actually saying a few things and the everything you say actually makes sense, they take you seriously. Mm. And when you look them in the eye and say, hey, I can beat you in math, then they're kind of a little bit scared, but then they realize, okay, she could actually be a useful team member. And then they yeah. take you seriously. So yeah. you just don't accept no. Yeah, That's again, 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 back to your habit, persistence. persistence. <laughs> this is again. You don't take no for an answer. Okay, he's not going to talk to me today. Okay, I'm going to find a way for him to talk to me next day. If I badly, if I really, really had to talk to Todd and he wouldn't talk to me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at his podcast. I'm going to look at his guests. I'm going to look at his Facebook group, LinkedIn group, find someone that he really looks up to and find a way to get to that person and then do the intro. Yeah. It's an example. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, all right. So last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? I hate to say persistence again, but you can math, say it. Math, persistence, and I keep saying math and persistence. Those are my two main pillars. What else would I do for wealth creation? Diversification. Mm, that would nice. be it. Because between real estate and stocks and other forms of investments, I would say. Yeah. Put your eggs yeah. into multiple baskets would be the third strategy. Cool. Cool. Um, okay. Last question. How can our listeners get in touch with you? My website is the best way, multifamilyforyou.com, where the four is number four. The yep. U is spelled out, Y-O-U.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you joining us on the show and tons of value, tons of insights. Um, and I love talking to, you know, people that are, you know, like, like you, right. You, you're motivated, you're energized and you just love what you're doing uh, and excited. And you could just tell by the way you show up. So I really appreciate you joining on the show and, and the value you're able to bring. Thank you very much. It's such an honor to be featured here. I looked up to you. I saw you at a conference a year ago and I was like, that is a cool individual. So it's uh, oh, exciting to be featured on your show. Thank you. That's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Have a good rest of the day. All right. You too. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venture D 
venturedeproperties.com, venturedeproperties.com, and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.